Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Okay. Hey, Jeff. Well, we're glad to have you on our next episode of Cut for Time, and it's going to be the holiday soon, so we're sneaking this in, and hopefully it will be released on time with whatever's, you know, all the festivities going on tomorrow. Yeah, in in between cookout and barbecue and fireworks and kids and swimming and, you know, all that. Yeah. So, Jeff, let's dig into your sermon on Sunday. Why don't you give us an overview? You and um, Joey's like actually overlapped on verse 36. He used it in his previous sermon. You used it this time. Why did you want to include verse 36? And then um, how does it just naturally flow into, you know, your sermon? Response is the, was kind of the title that we laid out for the message. And it's the response to what Peter has been preaching about who Jesus is and what that means. And so rather than just starting with saying when they heard this, it seemed like it just made sense to start with that verse, which is kind of the summary of everything Peter's been getting on, that everyone needs to know that this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. So it mm-hmm. it really kind of encapsulates everything Peter's been saying and provides the launching pad to reflect on, oh, wow, what does that actually mean? And what are the implications for us? And we need to really take that seriously. And, and since that's the case, wow, what, what do we do with that? And what's the response? So that's, yeah, it, it really seemed like it made total sense to not just start with, they heard that and responded a certain way, but instead to spend a little bit of time reminding ourselves what Peter has been saying. And, and the heart of that message is, just that, that Jesus is Lord. He's the King. He's the ruler. He's the judge. He's God in the flesh. And he is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the savior. He is the meeting place of heaven and earth and the center of all of God's work and salvation and blessing in this world. And, and the Holy Spirit is obviously working in these people's hearts because they they are caught, they are they're like wounded by the realization we have killed the Lord of glory. We have murdered the, the one true, good, innocent person who actually not only understands us, but is the one who could actually save us and came to save us. And we killed that person. What to mm-hmm. do with this? Mm-hmm. And that's what leads in then to Peter's uh, you know, beautiful response. It's not, you know, well, <laughs> I mean, there's no hope for you because you killed the king. Uh, it's not, you know, weep and lament and cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes and do penance and, you know, try and make up for it. I mean, it's this beautiful invitation, right? Yeah. Come to Jesus. Come to the one whom you wrongly killed because the reason he went to the cross was to save guilty sinners. And it's this just beautiful passage of invitation. Come and acknowledge your wrong and give it to Jesus and take his forgiveness and and know the forgiveness and the peace and the transformation that that getting Jesus means to, to both understand him 
and to have him. And when you get Jesus, that just revolutionizes your life. And, and out of that flows not just uh, absolute unconditional forgiveness, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, if you think about it, Peter and these people are, and the other disciples are here demonstrating the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, he's saying like this life, this power, this presence of God that you've seen in us, you can have. And that's what God wants you to have. That's what Jesus came to give you. He, he wants you to know his forgiveness. He wants you to be saved from all of our broken, twisted, crooked ways of thinking and, and living in this world. And instead to be identified with him in a new kind of life that will be empowered by God's own spirit living in you. I mean, it's just, mm. it's, oh, it's so beautiful, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, and this is like the response to the first sermon. And so if this is yes. the first sermon that they're hearing, what an impact that is. It's not like just an addendum or it's like a one-off message or whatever. Like if this is the first thing they're hearing is the story of um, grace and forgiveness in with like in a real and tangible way. Um, yeah. Just think about the impact. And we, we see the impact that it has, right? Um, Paul prompts people to repent and be baptized. Um, and yes. you wanted to talk a little bit more about baptism and you mentioned yeah. that in your sermon. So tell us like, why is he um, commanding baptism if it's not necessary for salvation? Right. Yeah. So there's a couple of, a couple of errors to avoid and you just hit on one of them. One is we, we want to affirm that baptism is not necessary for salvation mm -hmm. at the same time you you know you could read and i think some christians have read peter as saying when he says be baptized for the forgiveness of sins as though baptism itself is what washes away your sins and makes you right with god so it's not saying well baptism doesn't matter and and at the same time we're not we're avoiding the error that says well baptism is somehow you know the act itself is what's washing away your sin and there's a little bit of technical linguistic, you know, interpretive issues going on here. The, the four could mean in order to accomplish, but it also can mean on the ground of or on the basis of or because of. So in other words, you could potentially read it as saying be baptized in order to get the forgiveness of sins. But linguistically, it's also appropriate to read it as saying be baptized because you already have the forgiveness of sins. Be baptized mm -hmm. in demonstration of the forgiveness of sins. And, and when we look at the everything else the New Testament says about baptism, uh, it's clear that we have to read it that way. That Peter is not saying baptism is what's saving you or washing away your sins, but baptism is picturing what has already happened to you. And, and through the book of Acts, through the rest of the New Testament, that seems pretty clearly to be the pattern. People believe. And they're assured that they're forgiven and, and that they're new and alive in Christ and they're baptized as a picture of that, as a reflection of that, not as a cause of that. So it's important to, to just clarify that for people. And at the same time also say, but baptism is also a step of obedience. And the reason that Peter commands it is, of course, Jesus commanded it. Remember back in the end of Matthew's gospel, when he commissions, he gives what we call the great commission. He says, 
going out into all the world, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So we're making disciples who are baptized, and that baptism is a sign that I have died to an old life. I'm, I'm being baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm, I'm rising to a new life in him. My life is now identified with Jesus. That's what mm -hmm. baptism is really picturing. And so to ignore that, to just say, well, you know, it doesn't matter because I don't have to be baptized to save. I mean, that's technically true. But at the same time, you're also saying, I'm calling Jesus my Lord, but I'm not really willing to follow in obedience of what he's commanded. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously that doesn't really add up, right? So we, we want to be clear that baptism does not save us. It doesn't wash away sin, but it does picture what has happened in our lives. And to be baptized is to walk in obedience to Jesus, which is what coming to faith in him is all about anyway. Mm -hmm. So we, yeah, we want to avoid both of those uh, wrong responses. And again, uh, it just a reminder, I mean, we, when this goes out, we will be having baptism service coming up in August. And if anyone has come to faith in Christ and has not been baptized, this is a perfect time to yeah. express that obedient following of Jesus and being baptized and being identified with him publicly. That's also what baptism is about. Yeah, and so if people are interested, they can reach out to the pastors and just email pastors at faithchurchindy.com, yep. um, or they can text in, you know, whatever they think, whatever, however they can reach us, we'll make sure it gets to the pastors and you guys will follow up. Yeah, yep. Okay, great. Um, all right, so Jess, we've talked a lot about um, Jesus as Christ and Jesus as Lord because of this verse 36, right? But then we also, you've also introduced Jesus as Messiah. And so what new, like, what does that term bring, that new perspective of Messiah that Lord and Christ don't have? Well, you know, it's there, Christ and Messiah are pretty much getting at the same thing. Uh, so, you know, we sometimes sing a worship song, Jesus Messiah, and we also sing about Jesus the Christ, and we talk about coming to Christ, and it's really just the difference between Greek and Hebrew languages expressing very much the same thing. Okay. In the, the Greek, and, and they're, it's both related to this image of pouring oil over or uh, almost like smearing oil on, on a person or a place. And so in Greek, the, the Greek word that that comes from is creo, which means to pour out. And so one who has been poured over with oil is Christos. And it's just the Greek way of referencing the ancient Israelite practice of pouring oil on people or places. And the Hebrew for that is mashach. And what you call someone who's had oil poured on them is mashiach. So that's how we get Messiah and Christ. And the, the, the main thing here is there, there's not really a big difference between those two terms, but just to remember they're, they're not names. It's not like Jesus's middle name or something. It, it's okay. a title. It's meaning the one who is anointed, chosen, and set apart by God for the accomplishment of his purposes. So that's why it's really significant that Peter talks about Jesus as the Christ, which we could also say is Jesus as the Messiah. And it's, it's essentially getting at the same thing. He, okay. he is the, 
the center point, the focus of God's work and will and activity in this world. It's, it's where heaven and earth come together, is in the Christ or the Messiah. And, and the important thing there is to recognize in saying that we're acknowledging there's no salvation, there's no rescue, that there's really no access to the fullness of what God wants and intends for us, except through Jesus. Jesus is, that's why Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And uh, all who come to the Father must come through me. I am the way, Jesus says. There, there is no other way. And so, you know, I, th I think we probably acknowledge that in a religious sense. And yet, I mean, for all of us, there's probably still this temptation that's buried beneath the surface somehow to, you know, think that we're going to save ourselves or that our good work or, you know, our good efforts or all that we're giving or sacrificing like that, maybe it really does make God happier with me or love me more or smile more on me or be more pleased with me because of the good things that I'm doing. And on the other end, you know, when I feel like I'm not doing well, we may have the temptation to feel like, oh, you know, God's probably really disappointed in me. He's really unhappy. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm God has maybe withdrawn from me somehow. And in saying that Jesus is the Christ, we're not just affirming that he is the way to the Father, but that our salvation and our identity and our approval with the Father is grounded in Jesus and in what he has done. That he cannot love me anymore and he cannot love me any less than he already does in Christ. And, and that's so freeing and so important for us to hear. That when we're saying Jesus is the Christ, it's a shorthand that has so much packed into it uh, about what it means to really know that we are loved and forgiven and accepted and delighted in by the Father because Jesus is the Christ. And, and it takes the pressure off me, even in very subtle, unconscious ways of feeling like I'm going to be my own Messiah. Mm -hmm. And there's just such a beauty and a freedom, I think, that God wants us to know in that. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Anything else um, from your sermon on Sunday that you needed to cut for time? Uh, oh, yeah, well, tons of stuff. I mean, there, there's so much in these in these five verses, but uh, I, I think this is this just the overview of who Jesus is and what he has done. And when we see that, it, it brings both a conviction and a comfort. It brings both a wounding and a healing. And, and that is actually not just for coming to faith in Jesus, but I really think it is the pattern for our life in Jesus. Yeah. That, that we are constantly living a life of repentance, not in the same sense at all of needing to be saved again, but in the sense of I'm always inviting and asking God by his spirit through his word to help me see more and more of who he is and how he is still at work transforming and growing and sanctifying me and aligning my life more with who Jesus is. And when I see that, what I need to do is acknowledge it and, and let myself be wounded in a sense by the conviction of God's spirit who also comes to pour in the comfort and the reassurance and the forgiveness and the power and the hope and the help that we need. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, so this is not just, this passage is not just for people who don't know Jesus and need to know him. It's for all of us. It's for us who already know Jesus and need to be reminded that we live in this 
pattern of allowing and inviting and recognizing God's work to both point us to the cross, to both see our need for forgiveness and renewal and God's provision and how much he loves us in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jeff. We'll be back again uh, next week. Sounds great. Next week, we get to look at now what happens when 3,000 people suddenly come to faith in Christ and start to try and build a community together. That sounds um, tricky. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyone who's been in church can acknowledge that, yes. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.